If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and for the second consecutive episode, we're going to push back our regularly scheduled episode in favor of covering some breaking news for you guys in the world of Georgia football, as it is a surprisingly quick decision by NCAA standards Recent quarterback transfer JT Daniels has officially been granted immediate eligibility by the NCAA. Obviously, that could potentially have some very significant implications for the 2020 season. Absolutely merits close discussion on its own. But the Daniels waiver news isn't the only news to discuss as we also flipped wide receiver Adonai Mitchell from Ole Miss earlier today. That's been the worst for a little while, but it was made official earlier today, Monday afternoon. We also got a commitment from linebacker Jamin DeMoss Johnson between our last recording and today. And oh yeah, tight end Brock Bowers, top 100 prospect nationally. Him and his entire family took a trip all the way out to the classic city from Napa, California on their own dime over the weekend. So a lot of news to discuss today. And since we are talking about breaking news, I want to get this content out to you guys as quickly as I could. I'm actually supposed to be out at the beach on vacation right now. So I'm going to be flying solo today. But when big news breaks like this, we always want to make sure we have you guys covered. But before we discuss all that news, I promise we'll get to that here in just a quick second. I do need to thank all of you who have so graciously rated and reviewed our show on Apple Podcasts over the past, was was it been a month or so, maybe a month and a half or so since we've been uh, putting the, the call for reviews out there. Our modest goal was to get to 200 ratings by the time the season rolled around. And I am very excited to say, again, I know it's Not a huge number in the grand scheme of things, but I'm excited to let you guys know that we have hit that number. We have hit 200 ratings on Apple Podcasts. We hit that number over the weekend and actually went a little bit over that number. So really, guys, thank you so much to everyone who took the time to rate or review our show. And I also want to give a big special shout out to Jones Dog, Girly Boy 3, Dog Fan 05, and Astro Dog. For also taking the time to write some very kind reviews for us over the past week. We really appreciate that, guys. Uh, it's, it really is. It's, it's a huge help for the podcast. I know it might seem like a small thing, but it, it really does help us a lot. So thank you to everyone for helping us hit that goal. And let's uh, let's not stop there. Let's keep this thing going. And, and the month of June, we'll also let you guys know, the month of June was the best month this podcast has had since the pandemic began from a number of impressions standpoint. And July is actually right now already tracking to surpass last month, which is awesome. And I wish we could give you all something much more tangible to express our very sincere appreciation for all the support. 
especially through this global pandemic that we are all still in the midst of living in, this alternative reality that I seem to continually wake up to and find myself living in every single day. But all we can do is say thank you and mean it and trust us, we mean it. But uh, all right, JT Daniels, man, count me as surprised that this news came down as quickly as it did. I was thinking maybe we would hear something about the middle part of fall camp, maybe, but I want to give the NCAA credit here. They don't get much credit often because they don't really deserve it all that often, but I want to give them credit here for getting this done pretty quickly, at least relative to their standards and, and their history. And in the interest of full disclosure, a lot of you guys probably remember this. When news of Daniel's transfer first broke back in late May, I think it was the last week of May, last couple of days of May, I came on here and told you guys that I was dubious about his prospects of being granted immediate eligibility because when I looked at it, guys in similar situations where they lose their job you know, due to injury, when they come back, somebody's taken that job over and now they don't really have a job, guys like that had been turned down for immediate eligibility in the past. And so had guys like, oh, I don't know, Luke Ford, former Georgia player, who, in my opinion, had a much more urgent claim and, frankly, a better case for immediate eligibility. But he did not even get granted his immediate eligibility for what I think is a very bogus reason. Got completely screwed by the NCAA there. I still cannot get over that. That was just an absolute ridiculous move by the NCAA. But I did begin to change my tune when I saw that Lorenzo Lingard, I know it wasn't exactly the same scenario, but it was similar enough to where when I saw Lingard get his waiver approved at Florida for immediate eligibility a few weeks back, that's when I really started thinking that Daniels had a chance. And what I think happened here is is I think that Daniels benefited from the one-time penalty-free transfer rule that hasn't been passed yet. But it's almost certainly going to be passed and be put in place for next season. I think the NCAA sees the writing on the wall here. I think they just basically ultimately decided, hey, if you have anything close to a legitimate eligibility claim, we're just going to grant the waiver this year. We don't want to fight anyone with this. Uh, you know, With the legislation almost certainly passing for next season, I think they're kind of just throwing their hands up this year. At least that's what it seems right now with all the guys that are getting their eligibility request granted. Seems like they're just kind of throwing their hands up and saying, like, whatever. If you've got, like, a remotely reasonable claim, we're just going to give you eligibility. When in other seasons and seasons past, we might not have been so lenient when it comes to granting these waivers. I think it's really just a, a function of what's coming down the pipe here in the next really couple months to a year or so with this penalty-free one-time transfer rule that's going to almost certainly be passed in, in time for next football season. So that's why I think... He got his eligibility granted this year, but that's not really the important part here. What's more important is what does this mean? Like, what does this mean for the Georgia football program? Is JT Daniels a legit threat? Like, is he really a legit threat to win the quarterback job for the 2020 season? What I'm going to say here to start off is I'm going to stick to what I said back in late May when we first discussed the transfer on the show. We did an entire episode. I think we, we actually titled it the JT Daniels episode. So if you've missed that, you can go back and, and check that one out. You can hear what, all of our initial thoughts. But when we first discussed the JT Daniels transfer on that episode back in late May, what I said was I think the best case scenario for us is that this season, Jamie Newman is good enough 
to beat out Daniels and win the job because that would likely mean that we would have Newman this year and then Daniels as the starter next year in lieu of likely either a true freshman in Brock Vandegrift or a redshirt freshman in Carson Beck. I'm not completely throwing out Dewan Mathis. We just don't know exactly what his status is with his health situation. If he's completely healthy and cleared to go, he'll certainly factor in that conversation as well. And, and, and here's, why, here's why I say that, guys. If you have forgotten, we opened the 2021 season in Charlotte against Clemson. Yeah, Clemson. Really good program, right? And, and Brock Vandegrift or Carson Beck, I, I'm really high on both those guys, actually. They may turn out to be immediate superstars. One of them might. They might turn out, one of those guys might turn out to be a stud, a Trevor Lawrence type guy. It's possible. That's certainly possible. And it's it's certainly potentially possible that one of them could beat out JT Daniels going into the 2021 year. That's also certainly possible. But what I think is far more likely is that Daniels would win the job in 2021 with this combination of talent and experience. And I would feel far better going into that Clemson game with him at the helm than a guy likely making his first career start. Again, Vandegrift or Beck could beat him out. That's feasible. It's possible. We've seen freshmen come in and make immediate impacts at the quarterback position more than the last four to five years, a la, again, a Trevor Lawrence type guy, than we really have ever before. But I feel far better about one of them having to prove they are better than a much more experienced option in JT Daniels. I just don't like having to rely on freshmen. They could be great. They could be. They certainly could be. But I'm still hesitant to count on that. And the reason I say that is like, if... Here's, my, here's the crux of my argument. If JT Daniels is good enough to win the job this year and beat out Jamie Newman, who a lot of NFL draft guys out there are saying is a, a potential first-round guy right now, again, it's very, very early. This time last year, people were talking about J.R. Reed as a potential first-round draft pick, and we saw that turn out. So very, very early in that process. But still, the conversation's out there that he's a potential first-round draft pick. If JT Daniels is good enough to beat him out this year, then there's a, and he has the kind of year that I think he would have with our new offense, with, with George Pickens coming back, the defense that we have, if, if we win at the level I think we could win at this year. I think there's a strong possibility that Daniels was the guy this year that he would go pro after this year because he it would, it would have been his third year out of high school and he could go pro. If that's the case, if he wins the job this year, then we have one year of an experienced quarterback and then a freshman or a, a true freshman or redshirt freshman in 2021. Whereas if Newman is good enough to win the job outright this year and, and fend off Daniels, that means we have Newman for 2020 and then another experienced option the next year, 2021, when we open the season in Charlotte against Clemson. So that's kind of what I'm talking about here. And, and if Daniels wins the job in 2021, what I would also argue is that it gives us a better shot to land either MJ Morse or Gunnar Stockton out of Raven County, who are the top two quarterbacks in the state of Georgia, at least as we know, as it stands right now in the 2022 class because they wouldn't have to come in and try to unseat Beck or Vandegrift after they had been starting for a full season. You Basically, we would avoid the Jake Fromm-Justin Fields scenario where you have one guy who kind of established himself in in one year as the starter. You win a lot of games with that guy. It's really hard to move on from him. So it's hard for a guy like Justin Fields to come in and think he's going to win the job. Now, Fields, we saw that happen. We, we, we saw a guy come in and think, you know, I'm really talented. I believe in myself. I believe in my abilities. I can come in. I can beat this guy out even though he has a year on me as a full-time starter. But I think other guys have seen that too. I think MJ Morris and Gunnar Stockton have seen that. And if, if let's say, I don't know, Daniels wins the job this year and he goes pro after this year and then you have either Beck or Vandegrift start in 2021, well, I think MJ Morris and or Gunnar Stockton, if they look at that situation, they're going to say, huh, 
That looks a lot like the Jake Fromm, Justin Fields scenario. And what happened there? That's right. Justin Fields had to transfer out because he couldn't unseat Fromm, who kind of had the stranglehold on that job already. No one would have a stranglehold on the job going into 2022 if, J- if JT Daniels is the starter in 2021. It would be a totally wide open competition going into that 2022 season. And none of those guys, barring injury, would really have any starting experience. So I think that would certainly help us land one of those guys as well. So Those are the reasons why I think the best case scenario for us would be that Jamie Newman is good enough to win the job this year, and then we keep JT Daniels this year. He serves as the backup. And by the way, uh, it also really helps us out if, you know, Newman is a guy, one of the skill sets he brings to the table that makes him an effective quarterback is his ability to run the football. And he's a power type runner. He's a powerful runner between the tackles. And there's a good chance that he could get injured. He has, in his career, he has a history of getting dinged up. Not any major injuries, but he missed a couple games last year. I know the Florida State game was a game I watched during the season. And Sam Hartman, who was the guy that was the starter the year before in 2018, and then Newman kind of beat him out later in that season and then just kind of carried over into the 2019 season, he had to start that game because Newman was out with an injury. That happens with, with guys who run the football like that, especially when you have a powerful running style like Jamie Newman has. And so with now with Daniels in the picture, obviously I feel a lot better about us opening the offense up and allowing Newman to run the ball more consistently than maybe we would like maybe we wouldn't have felt as comfortable doing that when you have when you look at, at your quarterback room, you're like, okay, well I've got Carson Beck, who's a true freshman, Dwan Mathis, who might or might not be cleared, and then you've got Stetson Bennett, who you really don't want to have to be your starter. So that might have kept us from like really using the full skill set of Jamie Newman to the degree that I would like for us to use that skill set. Then it gives us maybe just an insurance option there as well. So let me be clear here. I, I'm, I'm not saying just give the job to Newman this year. I'm simply saying it would set up best for us if he proved he was good enough to win the job this year. I just simply like the two-year combination of Newman in 2020 and Daniels in 2021, then Daniels in 2020, and then a first-time starter in 2021, especially when you open the season against Clemson. So is that how it's going to play out? Is Jamie Newman going to be able to hold off? What I have to think is an unexpected challenger, at least from his perspective. I don't think he saw this coming. I mean, he had to think when he committed to us that it was a pretty clear path to the starting job. That's got to be one of the reasons why he ultimately pulled the trigger and came here. But I think the answer is still yes. I still think that Jamie Newman is going to be able to hold off JT Daniels right now, and I think he will ultimately end up winning the starting job going into the 2020 season. I do love that Kirby made this move, and I've heard some people say that ah, they're not so sure about it. You know, the last time, as I mentioned, with, with Justin Fields, Jake Fromm, it created this whole controversy that spilled over to the fan base, and it, it, that carried over into last season. We all know that did. There are people that, that were always in the Justin Fields camp, and they were still in the Justin Fields camp, even though he was playing Ohio State, and that's just, it's, and I, I can see the argument on to some degree that that you know maybe that's not the most healthy thing, but I I think it is. I think if you handle it right, hopefully Kirby learned from that situation. I think he probably did. Kirby's a, he's a smart guy. Doesn't doesn't mean he always gets it right immediately, but I think he's going to learn from mistakes. And I love that Kirby made this move because it creates competition. It's another example of Kirby putting his money where his mouth is. It's yet another example of Kirby living up to what he preaches about constant competition. And I do believe, I, I buy into that, guys. I believe that competition makes people better. Sure, like there are some guys who are intrinsically motivated. Those people exist. But other people need that push. And even like the most intrinsically motivated people, it doesn't hurt to get that extra push. They give you that little extra chip on your shoulder. And I think Jake Fromm 
actually is a pretty good example of this. I think having Justin Fields on campus in 2018 pushed him. I think it made him better. And Jake Fromm, like he's as intrinsically motivated a guy as there is. But I do think the competition with Fields pushed him even further and made him a better quarterback. It's certainly possible that one of the reasons we saw a slide with Fromm this past year is that he didn't have that competition in the quarterback room. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there were many other factors at play there, including the wide receiver position, which was a disaster after uh, Lawrence Cajun went down and George Pickens still trying to learn that position. He, now, George Pickens came on later in the year, but he also got suspended and all that whole nine yards. But I think so. the wide receiver position was certainly an issue, and the offensive coordinator was clearly a major issue. But uh, I think the lack of t- competition in the quarterback room was also a factor. I think it created a different dynamic as well. So I'm really glad Kirby did this. I think Daniels being on this team, I think it makes us better. And I think it will make Jamie Newman better as well. But still saying that, I do, again, think Newman will end up winning this job largely due to the added dimension his running ability gives us. And also, I would say this too, the running ability is something that, that at least the, the power running is something that JT Daniels cannot match. But I also love the marriage between Jamie Newman's aptitude in throwing the deep ball and new offensive coordinator Todd Munkin's inclination to push the ball vertically down the field in the passing game. I think it really meshes well. I think the skill set and the the desire offensively for Todd Munkin, I think those two really mesh. It, so that's why I would give Newman the leg up right now. Because look, I know people say, well, Newman, like he's so much more experienced. I've heard people say that. And I look at him, I'm like, is he though? Like Newman, yeah, he's... A little bit more experience than JT Daniels. He's been in college longer than JT Daniels, I guess. But Newman has 16 starts and JT Daniels is 12. So it's really not a huge gap in the experience level between Jamie Newman and JT Daniels. There's really not. But again, I think Newman's ability to throw the deep ball, he was the second most accurate deep ball passer in the country last year behind only Joe Burrow, who was had the best quarterback season I've ever seen in my life. So he his, his ability to throw that deep ball combined with the added dimension his legs give us, I think those two things give him a leg up in this competition. So if I had to bet on who wins the job, I would bet on Newman right now. I would bet on him right this second. But saying that, I'm certainly not counting JT Daniels completely out of this battle. From all accounts, from everything that I have heard, he has hit the ground running here in Athens in the voluntary workouts and is already pushing Newman. Now, you typically hear those things. Like I'm, like any offseason, I, I, I really don't remember hearing any conversation uh, from any of the people that I know around the program that, oh, yeah, th- this guy, he's just he's just having a terrible offseason. Like, like in, in the team-led workouts, he's just really all over the place. I've never heard that in my life. Every time I hear anyone tell me anything about what's happening – during the summer months when guys are out there working on their own without the coaches, all the player-led workouts, all that kind of stuff, all I ever hear is, oh yeah, this guy, he's, he's killing it, man. Like You're going to be shocked when you see him on the field. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But still, everything I've heard to this point is that JT Daniels is out there, he's working hard, doing good things, and he's already pushing Jamie Newman. We'll see how true that is. But there are things, and, and look, when JT Daniels committed to us, I went back and watched every single game that he played that I could find, I think I ended up finding seven of them as a true freshman back in 2018. And I dug into that tape to see, okay, what exactly is this guy bringing to the table? And I did the same thing with Jamie Newman. I went back and watched, I think it was eight of the games that Jamie Newman started last year since we've had this pandemic going on. That's like, what else am I going to do, right? And going back and really digging into both guys, 
what I discovered is that there are things that Daniels does better as a quarterback than Newman. Just like there are things that Newman does better. Newman is unquestionably more of a threat as a true runner, like building an actual downhill running game around him. But I think Daniels is actually a better scrambler. And I think he's better at making plays when things break down in the pocket. If you watch Newman, for a guy who is as athletic as he is, he doesn't really make a ton of plays when the pocket breaks down. His pocket awareness is lacking to a degree. He's not a disaster in that regard, but I don't think that's necessarily where he excels. Um, He just hasn't been a major scrambling threat. In fact, he, he does. He gets flustered at times when there is pressure, which he faced quite a bit at Wake Forest. He's just not necessarily great at extending the play and keeping his eyes downfield in in the scramble drill. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm not saying I haven't seen him do it. I've seen him do it. He just doesn't do it consistently. That hasn't really been his game to this point. And that's certainly something he could get better at. Like We could coach him up in that regard, and he could be a different guy this year. That's certainly possible. That's just not where he has excelled at to, to this point in his career. I think Daniels is just much better at that from what I have seen. Small sample size, sure, but from what I've seen, he's better at that. Daniels is not going to run any quarterback powers, not many quarterback draws, and won't even really run many zone reads. But he has a really good feel in the pocket. And he's also a deceptively good athlete. No, he is not the kind of athlete or the type of runner that Jamie Newman is. But he's a deceptively good athlete. I would kind of somewhat compare him to Joe Burrow in that regard. And he did a good job, for a freshman especially, of, of escaping pressure, keeping his eyes downfield, and either making big plays happen when things break down, or just escaping from a potentially catastrophic situation. Now, to be fair here, Daniels, as a true freshman, did make some seriously questionable decisions with the ball. There's a, there are a couple of plays against UCLA, for example, that's off the top of my head here, that, that he threw the ball up. I'm like, oh my God, dude, like, what in the world were you possibly thinking? Like, what were you looking at to make you think that was a good decision? There were more than a couple of those with him throughout that year. But again, he was a true freshman. That typically happens with true freshmen, especially when you're a true freshman on a team that wasn't very good and you're having to press a lot and try to just make things happen. I think that certainly was a factor as well. But regardless, there were some very poor decisions that were made. But you know what? Jamie Newman made some really poor decisions last year as well. There was an interception he threw against Duke, I want to say off the top of my head, that I I still don't understand, kind of like with Daniels, what you were possibly thinking. What is going through your head that you think that was a good decision? So both those guys have those moments. I think that's large because they both, uh, neither one is an overly experienced quarterback. They both have, I mean, Daniels has exactly a one full year as a starter under his belt, and Newman has a year and a couple starts under his belt. That's essentially what he has there. So just a couple more starts than Daniels overall. So as far as I'm concerned, they're about equal in like the what were you thinking kind of decisions. But another area I think that Daniels might have a little bit of an edge over Newman is that I think he throws a more catchable and accurate ball in the short to intermediate range. And I mentioned this about Newman earlier in in the offseason when we were kind of breaking down what he brings to the table and why the offense might be better under him. One of the areas where I think, I don't want to say he struggles, like he doesn't struggle in the short to intermediate range. I just don't think he's as strong there as he is throwing the ball vertically down the field. That is his strength is pushing the ball vertically down the field. He And he he can hit the deep ball with insane accuracy. I'm not talking just like putting the ball where a guy can catch it. I'm talking about hitting the guy in stride where he doesn't have to slow down. He can just run in the end zone. That's what I'm talking about. Like he is exceptional in that regard. And he's good in the short to intermediate range. I just don't think he's as strong there. I think Daniels is, is perhaps a little bit stronger in those areas and throws a little bit of a, an easier ball to catch 
than what Newman does. And maybe that's because Daniels doesn't have quite the arm that Newman does, so he doesn't rifle in there as much. But uh, I do think he has a little bit of an edge there. And when talking about this potential quarterback battle, not potential, it's going to be a quarterback battle now that we know that Daniels is eligible. I will say that the fact that we didn't have spring practice with a new offensive coordinator, that does give Daniels more of a fighting chance. If Newman had gotten all of those reps in this new offense during the spring, I, for one thing, would be very difficult for Daniels to come in and catch up just being here in the late part of the summer and into fall camp. But that's not the case with the unique circumstances that we obviously find ourselves in right now. Now, Newman does have, I would still say he has a, he has a little bit of a leg up, even without spring drills, since he has been on campus since January, working out with the team, building rapport, working through the playbook, all those kind of things. But it's not as big of an advantage as he would have had otherwise. So yeah, I don't think Daniels is just going to roll over and play dead during camp. He's coming, guys. Like He's gunning for the job this year. And I think he will absolutely push Newman. But again, I just think Newman's outstanding ability to push the ball down the field combined with his prowess in the run game as a physical runner gives him the edge in this battle going into fall camp. But however it plays out, it's going to be fun to watch. All right, let's move on to some recruiting talk. There had been a lot of smoke around us and wide receiver Adonai Mitchell, who was committed to Ole Miss. There's been some smoke around him for a couple of weeks now, and the possibility of a potential flip really heated up in the past week. And today, he made it official, and he's a guy that I think has a lot of upside. I know a lot of people are going to look at his three-star ranking on the 247 composite and say, eh, all right, cool, whatever, but... I really like what I see from Mitchell on tape. And I think he's a guy that definitely has the ability to be one of those guys who outplays his ranking. He's 6'3", about 190 pounds. At least that's what he's listed at. And he looks about that when you watch him on tape. He has a really good frame to work with. Uh, He definitely is not a plus athlete at this stage in his career. And he probably won't ever be. But he's a very fluid athlete that displays outstanding body control along with extremely strong hands. He is not a burner. He's not a speedster type guy. That's not his game. He probably runs in the high 4.5 to low 4.6 range if I had to put a number on it. But that's about what you expect with a guy that size and with that frame. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love for all of our wide receivers to have Julio Jones type speed in in that big powerful frame like Julio has. But Look, those guys are rare. You don't find those guys very often. So while Mitchell might not be a speedster, I'm okay with that because his fluidity and his body control allow him to operate as a very smooth route runner. And that gives him the ability to get open consistently. And he played at, I think, the 6A level in the state of Texas, which is some really good high school football. It wasn't like he was playing against scrubs out there. And he just really understands how to play that position. And that is also pretty rare for someone who is only a rising senior. Actually, he's not really a rising senior because he's already graduated, but we'll get to that in just a second here. Um, he's one of those guys, like when I watch him play, and you see these guys from time to time at the college level, he's one of those guys that, you, that, that doesn't have to beat guys with sheer athleticism. Now, there are some guys out there that the only thing they can do at the receiver position is just run straight past you. They got great speed. They can just run right past you, right? They can run that nine route better than anybody out there. But that's that's great, and there's there's a time and place for that. But you got to be able to do more than that if you really want to get on the field consistently. And I think that Mitchell is that kind of guy. He, again, he doesn't have to beat you with just his sheer speed and athleticism. He doesn't have to rely on that. He understands how to set up routes and how to work off of defensive leverage. And maybe he had to learn those things because he wasn't 
a plus athlete. Uh, he's very fluid in and out of routes and even displays an understanding of how to sit down in zone coverage, which you don't see a lot of at the high school level. You really don't. Uh, and if you're looking for a comparison that he kind of reminds me of, I would say a guy like Tyler Vaughns at USC. And I bring up Tyler Vaughns because going back and watching all that JT Daniels tape from back in 2018, Tyler Vaughns is on that team. And I see a lot of Tyler, like when I turn on the tape of Adonai Mitchell, I was like, whoa, this guy looks a lot like Tyler Vaughns, probably because I've been watching a lot of Tyler Vaughns at USC. Uh, or maybe an even better comparison that, got, that a lot of you might be more familiar with would be, a, be Jawan Jennings at Tennessee, who just graduated this past year. Uh, those two guys, Vaughns and Jennings, those are guys that have sufficient speed, sufficient athleticism, but they were never plus athletes. They excelled because they just knew how to play the position and how to use the skills and maximize the skills that they did have. Guys that despite not being the fastest guys out there, just consistently somehow found a way to get open and found a way to put up thousand yard seasons. Those kind of guys. I think that's what Mitchell can be. Maybe not immediately, but he can absolutely grow into a big time college wide receiver. And he also has a unique situation, as I mentioned uh, a second ago. He has played in Texas the past couple of years against really good competition, but moved to Tennessee and was going to play a senior season there. But with all the uncertainty surrounding the 2020 high school football season with this global pandemic that we we're all living under, he just went ahead and graduated early. He apparently looked into reclassifying to the 2020 class, but our numbers were pretty tight for, for that class. So he's back in Texas right now, not going to high school. He's just working out and getting ready to enroll in December. So that's the kind of situation that he's looking at right now. So I wouldn't really expect to see him move up the rankings all that much other than the fact that he committed to us. Sometimes you see the bump when some of these lower rated guys you know, committing to one of these recruiting powers like Georgia or Alabama, forever is Alabama, right? They call it the Bama bump. Whenever a guy that was maybe a three-star committed to Bama, all of a sudden, oh, now they're a four or five-star. So I don't see a situation like that happening with him because he's not going to play his senior year. He's probably going to go to any camps. There's not going to be any camps or having any camps all summer long. But that doesn't mean, I would caution you, like, don't forget about that. Like This guy is a good player. That doesn't mean he can't play. He absolutely can play. We, we would not take him if he could not play because we're probably only going to take two wide receivers in this class. Heck, depending on how the numbers play out, we might only take one. That wouldn't shock me, but I think two is the max. So like, we're not going to take him unless we feel really comfortable with him. I know that he uh, came and worked out for our coaches at uh, the coaching camp here last summer, and we kind of stuck on him from that point on. We weren't really like, publicly after him that much. You didn't hear much about him. And then he commits to Ole Miss. I think it was in April. But over the past couple of weeks, like I said, things started kind of heat up with him. You started to hear more and more about him. And lo and behold, he flips, and now he is on our commit list, and I expect him to stay on our commit list. And it also brings up, like his, so his situation, This guy, he's a guy who's graduated, tried, or thought, at least thought about reclassifying to the 2020 class, that brings up another guy that we talked about last month, Tony Grimes, right? The DB from Virginia that chose, the five-star DB from Virginia that chose North Carolina over us a few weeks back. You know, we had a question about him in our June mailbag in regards to why he chose North Carolina over Georgia. And I did my best to answer that question with the information that we had available to us at that time. But now new information has come to light on that topic. Turns out, that Tony Grimes is doing the exact same thing Mitchell is doing, except he is officially reclassifying to the 2020 class. He had concerns about the 2020 high school football season actually happening. So he just went ahead and didn't just think about reclassifying like Mitchell did. He just flat out reclassified. And he will be on North Carolina's football team this fall. From what I understand, we were actually his first choice. 
but we told him that we were full. Like when he told us and was communicating to, to our coaches about, hey, you know what, I'm I'm looking at reclassifying. We were up front with him and told him that you know our 2020 class was was full and we didn't really have a spot for him. And even if, even if somehow there was some attrition and a spot opened up for him, we would probably redshirt him. And that's why he ultimately ended up at North Carolina. So with that information, that makes this whole deal with Tony Grimes make a lot more sense now. So just want to throw that out there because that has also come to light over the past couple of days. So anyway, uh, Mitchell, he is uh, not the only commitment, the most recent commitment, but not the only commitment that we have gained over the past week as four-star inside linebacker Jamin Dumas Johnson out of Maryland has also committed to the G. And he's another guy that I really like. And he's another name that started to be connected to Georgia publicly over the past month or so. I really had not heard much about him at all in regards to us being interested in him or him being interested in us until the past month or so, really once Barrett Carter, the, the linebacker from North Gwinnett, committed to Clemson. Uh, Dumas Johnson is 6'1". He's about 230, 235 ish and I'll be honest, when I first went to put on his tape a couple of weeks ago, I really wasn't expecting much. Like I, I wasn't. I kind of had this preconceived notion of him as just a plan B to Barrett Carter. And, and that may be so. It's probably so. He probably was a, a plan B to Barrett Carter. But I was very pleasantly surprised when I put his tape on. I'm not going to say he's quite a Barrett Carter level athlete at inside linebacker because he's not. He, he's not quite there. But I'd also say he's not that far off. And he's actually about 15 to 20 pounds heavier than Carter. So you got to factor that in as well. He's a really impressive inside linebacker prospect. He's explosive and will strike the ball carrier. He moves very, very well. He redirects well, which is really important for a linebacker. He's instinctive. He's more than adequate in coverage. He plays with a really high motor. He attacks downhill. In short, he checks off a lot of the boxes I look for when I'm evaluating an inside linebacker prospect. Now, one area he does need to polish up on is tackling. And this has become customary for a lot of high school linebackers. This is not just him. This goes for a lot of guys that I watch come out of high school. He just leaves his feet far too often when attempting to make a tackle. Just too often. It's it's not a problem at the high school level when you're playing in Maryland because he's just bigger, faster, and stronger than all those guys. You can kind of just put your shoulder in somebody and they fall down, right? Good, great job, tackle, awesome. But you can't play like that in college, not in the SEC. You just can't do it. The good thing, however, is that this is something that is very easily fixable. He's got the tools, and when he gets to campus next year, we're just going to go about sharpening those tools. He's got the physical tools. We're just going to sharpen those physical tools, and I think he can be a really good inside linebacker for us a year or two down the road. Again, I don't think he's quite at Barrett Carter's level right now, but I also really don't think there's that much of a gap between the two. Now, we just need to get Samuel Mondin on board, who might actually be less ready to play right now than Carter or Dumas Johnson, but I think he has a higher ceiling than both. So, now that we got Dumas Johnson on board, if we can get Smell Mondin on board inside linebacker, I think our inside linebacking class might be done. But um, all right, finally today, I want to make sure to mention tight end Brock Bowers, who I am extraordinarily high on. He's a guy who was inside the top five of my top 10 most wanted list from a few months ago. But he paid his way, or I guess his family paid his way, to make an unofficial visit to Athens all the way from Napa, California. He brought his entire family. There was no commitment coming out of this visit, which so I know like 
typically people don't want to talk about visits unless there's actually a commitment. People are disappointed when there's not a commitment. And I get that. Like we want, all of us want commitments. Of course we do. But I'm still going to mention this on the show because this is the second time in the past six months, since January, that Bowers has unofficially visited us on his own dime, which speaks volumes, in my opinion, about his level of interest in playing between the hedges. Now, obviously, this visit was a little different with the NCAA rules as they are right now with the dead period in recruiting. Guys cannot come onto campus and meet with coaches. They cannot tour the facility, things like that. But there's nothing stopping him from coming to Athens and taking in everything else that the University of Georgia and Athens has to offer, which is exactly what he wanted to do. He knows the coaches at this point. He's been top sure He's been Zooming with them all pandemic long, I'm sure multiple times a week. But he wanted to come and see Athens, kind of get a feel for things and kind of talk to some of the guys on the team. He, he can do that. He can talk to the guys on the team, but can't actually go talk to the coaches in person. So it's obviously a little bit of a different kind of visit. It didn't give him maybe the entire feel he would have gotten if he came into this last year, when he actually go into the football facilities and meet with the coaches, that kind of thing. But it's better than him not coming at all. And considering the circumstances, the fact that he was still interested in coming all the way out here, to me, that speaks volumes, again, about how interested he is in ultimately committing to Georgia. So when he got here, apparently he met, you know, and this was according to uh, Dog Nation, so you guys can go read the entire article if you want to. But he met with Brock Vinegriff and Chaz Chandless at Mama's Boy here in Athens. Not too far. Actually, just a couple minutes from where I live. Uh, so he did that. Had a good time. Talked about really enjoying the cinnamon roll at Mama's Boy. And if you guys have never been to Mama's Boy and, and had the cinnamon roll, it is freaking massive. And it is freaking delicious. So I'm glad he went there. It's a ton of places you can go to Athens. But that's a good stop for a little uh, late breakfast when he got into town. So started the trip off with that. And then... Tight end coach Todd Hartley, although he could not meet with him in person, got very creative and basically did like a Zoom tour of the campus, right, and, th- and through Athens. So basically, he was looking at Todd Hartley on a phone, and Hartley was kind of giving him a tour through Athens, giving him all the spots where to go and all that kind of thing, the whole nine yards. Actually, apparently made him a little booklet of, of things to do and places to go check out in Athens. So pretty cool. Met with a bunch of our guys. I actually... Ended the whole trip, wrapped it all up with a meal at the Vinegriff household because he lives here in the Athens area, not quite in Athens, but not too far from Athens. So yeah, it sounds like everything went really well. And again, I mentioned this, even though it wasn't a commitment, because I love the dude. I think that Brock Bowers is a future star at tight end. He has a verified 4-5 40-yard dash, 40-inch vertical, and a six foot three, 225-pound frame. He's going to be a monster in our new offense if we can somehow land him especially when you pair him with a guy like Darnell Washington. He's a top 100 player nationally. I think he should personally be in the top 50. I think he's a borderline five-star type prospect. I think he could end up being there when it's all said and done if he's allowed to actually play high school football this year. So yes, I know, no commitment, but still wanted to mention it because I think things are still looking very good for us potentially landing Brock Bowers here. He says he wants to make his commitment according to Dog Nation before his high school season starts. So that would be like in the next month or so. So certainly a name to be watching for here over the next couple of weeks. But all right, guys, that does it for me here today. I know it's a little bit of a shorter show than we've been having lately, but want to get on here and cover this breaking news as much as I could, specifically the JT Daniels stuff and, of course, some of the recruitment news as well. So thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate all your support through this pandemic. I'm going to do my very best to sneak away and put together another show for you guys later on this week. So check back for that. But thanks for listening. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.